Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast, hosted by Dave Roberts. Humanity possesses a unique skill, the ability to pass knowledge from one generation uh, to the next. This podcast embraces that ability, offering learning opportunities through conversations with extraordinary guests. Dave aims to leave a positive mark on individuals around the world. So before you dive into today's episode, Please share this podcast with your network, including friends, family, and colleagues. And please consider leaving a rating or review. Your support makes all the difference. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, and it is my pleasure to have for a return visit my one of my former and one of my most favorite students in all of the world, uh, Kaylee Reagan. And if I didn't say that, she would refuse to, to, to do the podcast. Kaylee Reagan is a Utica University, formerly Utica Col College alumni, with her bachelor's in psychology, living in Raleigh, North Carolina. Her passion for mental health advocacy, along with neuroscience, drove her to a career in alternative medicine specifically neurofeedback therapy. As the executive director of My Brain Doctor, Kaylee empowers others in recovery to think beyond the traditional expectations of mental health care. She is nothing without her other half, Rescue Pup London, and her love for spending time traveling to visit family and friends all over. And Kaylee, welcome back for a return engagement on the Teaching Journeys podcast. Thank you, Dave. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, to be here, and um, it's even better that other people get to hear our conversations, I think. I think that's a good thing. And speaking, that's a nice segue into our the first conversation that we had. You were one of uh, my initial episodes on the Teaching Journeys podcast. I think maybe the fourth episode, fifth episode, something like that. Um, in 2023, you were the third most watched podcast that I had. That's awesome. I mean, I felt like we talked about a very relevant topic and definitely one um, that your younger student um, and recent graduate population really could relate to um, and understand. So yeah, and it was really rewarding. And as always, we just kind of have an organic um, conversation between the two of us. And, and I think that how authentic we are and real with what we say too is really makes a difference, but that's awesome to hear. We'll have to shoot for number one next year though. You know how well, I am. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's not a perfectionistic bone in your body, Kaylee. I don't know how I feel about number three. <laughs> three is a sacred number. So, you know, you need to, you need to realize that there's a lot of significance beyond the human law explanation of that. All right. Fair enough. We'll keep three for this year. Three for 23. <laughs> it's all in alignment. All in alignment. But anyway, just a brief background of how Kaylee and I met. Um, her stepfather, John, is the uh, director of graduate admissions at Utica University. And Kaylee was uh, coming in as a transfer student. I believe it was for your sophomore year. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh -huh. And John had gotten in touch with me and said, would you mind, you know, sitting down with Kaylee and just talking with her and just making sure she's got everything mapped out for, you know, for her college career and, 
you know, give her any type of guidance or suggestions that could, you know, uh, make the process of, of, of transferring a little bit easier. I said, sure. Needless to say, Kaylee came in and had her, all of her first last two years of college mapped out. She knew exactly what she was taking, when she was taking it. And so basically what I turned around and I asked her for some life advice. <laughs> but uh, she, she, she was one of those students that had everything kind of planned out. But then as we both discovered, the universe kind of has different plans. Um, I, I've told her on numerous occasions that whenever I thought I had a plan to do something, the universe said, hold my beer and look what I got. Exactly. Yeah. The amount of times that I know that exact document too, the one it says like two year master plan, it's like deep within my files on my college laptop. But I changed that document at least a hundred times. Um, all very thorough, thought out plans, but I didn't realize. And that's a big thing about college too. That you get taught very quickly that there is, you have just no idea. And I'm surprised I didn't learn that earlier with any of the changes that I've been through. But, but yeah, truly, you have no idea how many times you're going to change your mind. And I think one reason why we don't have any idea how many times we're going to change our mind is maybe because we don't think we're supposed to change our mm-hmm. mind, you know, or think that we're supposed to have that, that path and that things are supposed to be that one way. And when things maybe are in alignment with that plan, or you start to think differently of what else you may want, which is perfectly normal because you're adapting and you're evolving and you want different things, but we're definitely apprehensive to make that change and make that jump. And fortunately I did have a lot of people, um, yourself. Um, I remember meeting with Dr. Speck after I said, I didn't want to go to med school. I thought he was going to be so not disappointed, but I thought he was going to say, you really need to keep pushing and trying and here I can help you do these different things. But he says, no, that's what you want. That's what you need. And um, I think college really taught me that you, you navigate through those things. Um, and it's okay to be accepting of that change. Well, the other thing is that no matter how old or young you are, you know yourself better than anybody. And who am I to tell you what's best for you? If in your heart you want to script a different path than the one that you originally scripted for yourself, who am I to to tell you not to do that? Absolutely. Um, You know, I think one of the things that I, I think many college students underestimate is their ability to empower themselves. And they need to be able to do that because once they're empowered, they begin to take responsibility for their own path and they have a better sense of where they want to go as opposed to relying on somebody like, you know, like a professor or, or an authority figure for advice. And, you know, we've talked in my classes before about the problem with advice. If you take my advice and you follow that advice and it works, it's my advice that got you where you wanted to go is not you see it as nothing that you did but if right. my my advice turns to crap who do you got to blame it's me yeah no you're absolutely right i definitely think that we're always looking for that external validation from someone else that the decisions that we're making are correct and right and especially if we're young too you know we're looking for someone who is older and wiser to give us that validation but the reality is that they don't truly know the person who you are and 
they have not seen you evolve throughout the years. And they don't also see kind of that end game of where you want to evolve. You know, you can express it as much as you want to, but to truly know thyself, you know, that takes being you. And so taking control of that rather than seeking that external validation allows you to one, accept that, okay, I can make a change and do whatever I want to do that fulfills me, fulfills who I was and fulfills the person that I want to become. Again, going along with having a set, set values, set belief system um, that allow you to act accordingly to that and just accepting that your decision, you know yourself the best and that your decision um, is ultimately going to be the best and most comfortable one. Haley's very familiar with my loss history from taking death, dying, and bereavement with me. And because of our, our student-professor relationship, she talked to me about very significant loss in her life. We kind of thought it'd be kind of interesting for our audience to kind of just interview each other, basically, about our, our most significant losses and tragedies in our lives, how we transcended it, how it affected us and what we've learned from it and how we've applied those lessons going forward. So yeah, again, um, going kind of back to how we met too, I didn't just solely need you. I also sought out your knowledge after reading um, something that you posted on Medium um, and my stepdad shared it with me too. So I didn't just take his word that you were truly amazing and could help me academically, um, but I also was really, really uh, intrigued by just the words that you use to describe your grief, um, how you were able to actually take the feelings that you were feeling, um, what you dealt with and put it into words, because that was something that I was, um, that I always struggled to do. So I wanted to pick your brain, which I think I've been doing for the past seven years now, <laughs> and really understand, um, how you found the words, um, after your loss. Um, I lost my dad um, when I was 12 years old. Uh, he was epileptic and he had a grand mal seizure that ultimately took his life. Um, I know Dave lost his daughter um, and I lost my dad. And so that was a really important relationship to me um, to really have that fatherly figure. Um, of course, he's my favorite, but... He still is a genuine, caring, compassionate human being. And I knew I could learn a lot of the things that my dad didn't get to teach me um, about life, how to deal with hardship, um, that my dad would have loved to continue to teach me throughout my life. And I knew that Dave could really, really uh, be impactful. So I didn't just need you to live my two-year plan. I definitely really wanted to learn from you, as we still have been doing. Um, I think that after losing Janine, your story has been so powerful. And I am so grateful that you've taken everything that you have learned from transcending through that loss and are showing it to the world. Because through your podcasting, through writing, through your book with Patty, all of those things are truly making a difference. And in the lives of others. And I think part of this conversation and in interviewing you today is me really wanting the world and your podcast listeners to know how they can find the words to feel the emotions that they're feeling after a loss. Um, and yeah. 
So I'm, I'm going to take it. You're going to want to ask me some questions. I think but so. Before we, and I am going to want to ask you some questions about your dad, but your father's mm -hmm. name is Denny? Yes. Mm -hmm. I saw a picture of your father and he looked like he was just, I, the smile he just had just spoke of mischief. <laughs> and that is, no, I would say it's very accurate. Sure. You know, he would like, you know, give you the business and he was like a, a fun guy and somebody was probably very easy to talk to and relate with. And, um, you know, and I could see where you would miss his presence, particularly 12 years old. I mean, just embracing again, you know, you know, you know, embarking on womanhood, you know, losing, losing a parent at any age is tough. But particularly at that age, that that had to be challenging on a lot of different levels. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I, and I spent many of those years of my childhood from 12 until not that meeting you was kind of a turning point. But it did allow my perspectives to change. Plus, I was transitioning into adulthood as well. So I think that combination of having a new perspective and um, developing intellectually a little bit more um, allowed for me to do a little bit more healing, but those eight years or 10 years or so were pretty difficult. Um, then as a child learning how to navigate that. And, and obviously when you, um, lost Janine, you were an adult, uh, and you had a period, I guess, of time between you lost Janine, you had a period of time and then you kind of saw this, maybe a beacon of light, um, or you kind of have this, maybe a defining period of time, maybe not one specific moment, but a period of time. And I guess I, what I just described was mine as well. I had that period of time before I was able to really transcend my thoughts and feelings and come to terms with it a little bit more. Not that it's something that you ever fully come to terms with, but really able to make a leap um, in how I was feeling and processing that. Um, so I guess something that I kind of want to ask you too is what did that period look like for you? Um, whereas for me, it, I was a child, but so I didn't really think anything conscious, what seemed conscious or what seemed logical. Um, I had childlike thoughts and um, I'm really interested to see how that period looks for an adult. How can any of those is it, did you experience it any better or worse than I did? Is there anything that would make that period better for someone, um, someone as a child or someone as an adult even? Well, I think first of all, Kaylee, just to address the question about childhood. And one of the things is that depending on the age of loss, if let's say a child experiences the, the uh, I call it the transition from the physical body to the spiritual plane of a parent. Let's say at five years old, that grief in the meaning of grief and loss is going to re-express itself as that child grows developmentally. Their grief is re-expressed in sometimes very unique ways, depending on where they are developmentally. For me, it was a childlike process for me that I went through for a couple of different reasons. I was 47 years old when Janine transitioned. It was March 1st, 2003. She transitioned after a 10-month battle with a very rare form of cancer called avelia rhabdomyosarcoma, a connective muscle tissue cancer. It had metastasized. It was stage four. And there we, we were basically told uh, 
by the oncologist that there was no cure for her cancer. We got her diagnosis and prognosis about three weeks after she gave birth to her only daughter and my first grandchild, Brianna. So for me, I went from being an excited grandparent to just also having recently received my MSW from SUNY Albany to all of a sudden finding myself as a parent with a child with a terminal illness. So you want to talk about the you know, life turning out a dime and the emotional roller coaster. That just all happened before her illness progressed. And after she transitioned, it was like, and I, I told my told my wife Sherry this, I've told other people this. It was like I had to learn to walk all over again. I felt like a toddler. Because the world that I had built, the assumptions that I built around my world, my priorities, my values, all of that was put on the table. I had to reassess everything. I was a therapist at the time. Um, all the training in the world I had, that I had and all the work that I did with clients, I didn't even remotely prepare me for having to bury a child. Um, so essentially, I had, to, I had to learn to rebuild my world all over again, much like a, I, I needed to learn how to re-engage in a world, much like a child learns how to initially re-engage in, engage in a world. Um, there were a lot of things that I think helped. It's, I got a lot of support from specifically from parents who had experienced the, the transition or death of a child. Um, and also... My students at Utica University, at the time it was Utica College, I had started working there in January of 2003, about six weeks before my daughter transitioned. I got interviewed by, uh, at the time, the department chair who was there, I think, before your time, Scott Smith. And mm -hmm. Scott, hey, you remember, oh, you do remember Scott, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, he hired me, and that was when Janine was was having an upswing from the chemo. So I got the job, and then again, then the cancer re-metastasized, and we were looking at a one- to three-month prognosis, but I couldn't quit because I was under contract. So after Janine transitioned, there were days that I just didn't have the energy to get out of my own way. But I would go to class, and I was teaching a night class at the time, and for those three hours, I was enveloped in kind of, I call it a blanket of love, validation by that whole Utica University community, by my students. Um, and that got me through a lot of tough moments, and it still does. I have a, a debt of gratitude to that university and to the students past and present. And I tell my students all the time that I have a deep amount of love and respect for them. Um, they gave me hope, and they let me, they let me feed off of their energy when I couldn't feed off of my own. And if it wasn't for that community, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. That was one part of that. They, they, they played a major role in that. And then as I began to progress in my grief, and you, you, um, I met a lot of individuals who gradually were giving me a different perspective to look at grief. I was take, it had some things that got me through that next moment. But I needed more. And that more came in, into the... Um, into the form of Patty Farina, Reverend Patty Farina, who I met through pure serendipity. Um, and she was an interfaith minister at the time from Long Island. I ended up finding myself in Long Island, and this is the short version. 
um, where she facilitated a spiritually transformative experience that allowed me to find peace with my daughter's passing in 2010, seven years after she transitioned. And from there, it led to a, a, a friendship. Uh, she became a spiritual mentor. She became a friend. She became a guide. We would have marathon conversations about spirituality, how spirituality could align with my science-based beliefs of psychology, how they could be integrated, the importance of critical thinking. Um, and every piece that she gave me stimulated my, my innate curiosity even more to see how these two worlds could coexist. And once I began to integrate spiritual practices with science-based practices, my whole outlook on life changed. My view about life, death, and life after death changed. Um, I truly have come to believe that our children, our loved ones, your father, is, are, are there in some form of energy that their consciousness never goes away, that we can connect with that at any time, and they can connect with us at any time. And it, it brings us to a state where we can have a pure spiritual relationships, minus the human experience contracts that sometimes causes conflicts in, in the physical existence. And it was all because of Patty's influence that allowed me to see that. And as again, as you know, you mentioned the book that we had written earlier, When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. That was a book that pretty much outlines our how we met the spiritually transformative experience, the importance of critical thinking for the younger generation, and how psychology and spirituality can merge to to help individuals transcend challenges. So um and from there it's just been a continued progression of innate curiosity and me wanting to continue to learn um, and to, to grow. And I've determined that even at 68 years old, I still got a lot of growing up to do. And if you talk, <laughs> talk to my wife, she'll tell you I've got a lot of growing up to do. Yeah. Um, so, but um, yeah, we can, we continue to grow. And I, and, and also I think it's pretty cool that you're take, you're interviewing me because now the student becomes the teacher. And that's what I wanted. We're all students and teachers. I can learn from anybody, young or old, anytime. It doesn't matter. Um, everybody's got something to teach me. And that's what I've learned along, along this path. And I've also learned that um, it's never too late to heal past trauma from, from, from relationships. That, that, that again, it's all because of the teachings that I underwent with Patty and also her encouragement to engage with other spiritual like-minded teachers that helped me realize that time is relative when it comes to, to a lot of different things. And um, I know it's informed my teaching. Um, I have a deep love and mutual and respect for my students. Um, when they are hurting, I hurt. Um, if a student tells me that they have a parent who's sick, if they have a loved one who is sick, it brings me right back to the days with my daughter. And if they're crying, I'll cry along with them because it's just that that's how much it touches me. That's how much, um, that's how much my, my students impact me every day of their lives, um, whether they know it or not. And wow. so all of that, I think has been helpful. You mentioned it doesn't go away, but we learned to integrate it. Uh, you're, there's going to be, you're never going to forget your dad. Um, 
I'm never going to forget my daughter. And I'm never going to forget those ancestors who, 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 including my, my, my four-legged ancestors, my pets. I'm never going to forget them. They're always going to have a place in my heart. And who they are, the best qualities of them are going to remain within me. And it's going to, you know, that's going to manifest in everything I do. When you see that kind of young, playful energy come out, you've seen that come out in me a lot of times in the classroom. <laughs> sure have. <laughs> yeah, you have seen that. And I, I always firmly believe that's my daughter's energy and her energy and her essence has become a part of me. So we're a package deal. Um, yeah. And so that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but that pretty much will give you a kind of a nutshell in terms of, of what the progression was like for me. Why in many ways I kind of went back to, it was like childlike for me to, right. to have, because I had to take childlike steps again because I, I was, I was transported to a place that was unfamiliar and terrifying to me. And I, it took me a long time to make sense out of my world. Right. Is that something that common that you see in other bereaved parents or not just parents or anyone bereaving in general? I think for anybody, Kaylee, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the loss. It could be like you experienced the death of your dad, the transition of your father. It could be the transition of a grandparent, of a sibling. Any life type of loss that we experience changes the landscape of our world. That person is no longer physically a part of our world. So that necessitates that we, we look at how we're going to interact with our world differently. What changes are we going to make? What changes in our belief system are we going to make? Our value system. How are we going to, to adjust to, the, to the, the, the physical absence of our loved ones? How do we accept that our world is different? And acceptance isn't about closure. Acceptance is about, okay, I realize that my world is different. It's changed, but I'm going to make a conscious choice to re-engage in my world with meaning, to treat my, my fellow human being with love and beneficence. And bottom line, Kaylee, what's going to get us through all of these challenges that we have is love and compassion uh, towards ourselves and others. Right. And, and those are, you, you said that you had to basically reassess your entire value set and, and change what those were. And of course, some of those I'm sure that you already had in your life and it wasn't a complete overhaul. Things like love, you obviously had that, um, being a parent, being a husband, those are things that you, you still were able to fear. But as a child, um, I didn't have any of those really belief systems or values quite yet. Um, I have, I, I'm sure I had some of them. So my loss basically was me creating. I never really had a before of who I was before. Most of my life, my core memories, me really remembering things is all afterward. Um, and oftentimes I think, uh, who is the person that I would be if my dad, if I never, not if my dad were still here, I, I try not to think about things that way, but who would I be if that tragedy never impacted me the way it did? Uh, so, so who would you be? I don't know. Um, I, it's funny because the only thing that I really remember is that I really wanted to be an interior designer. And it's so funny. And it's normal for your, for what you want to be when you grow up to change at a young age. But but maybe I would be an interior designer. And, and I love, I love the person that I became through 
my tragedy. I think that everything, that whole period made me very resilient. Um, it gave me a lot of strength and it gave me a lot of understanding of the world and the way things are. Um, however, um, do you, do you miss anything about the way that you were before? Um, or do you really see it as only positive changes? Well, first, if you were going to ask me the type of person I was when I was 47 years old, as opposed to, to now six, 20 years later mm -hmm. and 68 years old, I would need a search party to find that person. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you who that person was at 47. That's how stark the transformation was. I think I, I had elements of love and compassion. And those things kind of grew exponentially after my daughter's transition. But there are things that I like about myself now in terms of my growth as a result of the challenges with my daughter's transition that would not have happened had I been 47 years old. So I think when you look at it in terms of growth, I think I've grown more mm -hmm. at 47 and at 68 than I did at 47. And I, I would hope I would. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be the same person I was at 47 because that means there'd be no growth. And that growth happens either way, right? Yeah, your age, yeah. as you age, your growth happens inevitably. But I think that something that life altering um, mm -hmm. really acts as a catalyst to that growth. And it, it does. And what about you? Now, you're 12 years old. Did you find that as you got older that you grieved the loss of your dad differently at, let's say, 16 than you did at 12? Oh, absolutely. I felt like I was like running. A, I felt like I was a, um, a, a multi-athlete in track, right? So you have many different events that you do and they're all very difficult, but you have to be all, you, you essentially have to be skilled in all these different events, right? And it's just like you're going from one event to the next. Every other person on the track team is kind of do a couple events here, one in the morning, one at night, but know that Maltese, they're going all day long. And that's what it felt like. I felt like I was just constantly like really quickly going through a lot of very hard challenges where I was sprinting for 30 seconds and things were really difficult. But then a couple of years later, I was doing something completely different. Whereas I was still grieving, you know, I was still at the track meet, but I throughout the day, throughout the years, I really changed what I did, but they all equally felt like I was really sprinting. Does that make sense? <laughs> that was like, the only way as a track lead I could describe it, I guess. But, but that's how I felt. Like it was an all, an all the time. Like I was really giving it my all. And then, and that was a good eight years, but that was me with kind of going through, I think, the emotions. I always say you have to go through it to grow through it. And that was me kind of going through the hard, the hard work. And I think at some points that kind of settles down. Mm -hmm. The day is over um, and you're really able to kind of look back and think um, about what that period looked like. And, and that's, I feel like, how I've been in the past few years is I'm able to reflect on how all of that made me feel. Um, and I felt 
all of the feelings, um, my poor mother, my poor family. But I, when I lost my dad, I felt it all. I was not keeping anything hidden about how I felt. Um, and I was hurting. And now I'm able to, I guess, retrospectively look back at that hurt and also just love that girl too. Like give that girl so much love. Um, but it was definitely, it was definitely a lot of sprinting. And now it's much nicer to just kind of look back and again, give myself so much love and be able to mentally, emotionally process things a lot more rather than physically uh, process them. And, and I'm happy that that happened, um, that I was able to feel all of those things. But who I am now is an entirely, entirely different person um, than what maybe 11-year-old me, though I didn't have much time to really figure out who I thought I was going to be. I know that I'm definitely very grateful um, that I made it out. Um, to be able to see the other side and, and live with this feeling. Because not to say that there is another side. You know, there was never a moment where I'm like, okay, I accept this. Uh, I accept this tragedy. Because you never will. But, but I may also live with it. This happened. Um, and, and I can live through it. And I can either choose for it to be a burden and I think this is a quote from an old Sarah Dessen book. Um, you can choose for it to be a burden, but you can also see it as an anchor, you know, and, and see how that weight of that anchor grounds you. And, and that weight, it really did ground me. And now I'm able to settle and move forward. Well, I'm glad you're able to experience those feelings and be able to sit with that and, and just allow it to drink you up. Because we have to feel the feels in order to get through them. If we try to run away from it, it's just going to, it's just going to catch up with us. Um, and I think it's just another way that we remember. And I think the amount of yearning, the amount of sadness that's, that will occur after a loss is commensurate with the amount of love that we had for that person. I could tell, I know you loved your dad a lot. And can I ask you what you miss the most about him to today? What you miss the most about your dad? nothing was ever serious. I'm, I'm like such a, I, I have a lot of my mother in me too. Um, just as much as my dad, I have a lot of my mom and she is very, she's also type A, quite a planner, likes things to be very organized and clean and pristine. And my dad just comes in and is an absolute goofball and a wrecking ball. And I think I love that aspect of him just kind of always breaking the ice. Things, even though they were so hard for him, they always seemed so easy and I missed that just looseness about it all that life isn't so serious and someone else also teaches me that too and that's definitely you um, to not take everything so seriously so I'm happy that you have that goofballness in you as well um, and I try to surround myself with people who are also extremely funny and goofy um, and that I can just always laugh around so that's definitely the biggest thing I miss about him. My, my mission, not only as being your professor and trying to impart some life lessons, was to not have you take yourself as seriously as you took yourself, just to have you laugh at yourself more and laugh at some of the things. 
Like one time I remember when you came in to, you came in a little bit late to my depth hanging for Rachel class. I shut tell the anybody I came late. <laughs> and, hey. I was there when you shut the door before I got there. <laughs> the, there you go. That's a, a, a perfect rationalization. Perfect <laughs> rationalization for a perfectionist. I'll tell you. Yeah, that's right. It was my fault. So thank you. But anyway, I just looked and I said, ah, darn. I said, I should have shut the door early. We just both started cracking up. But you, you've gotten done. You've gotten a lot better. I could see where your dad would have that quality. I would have loved your father. I would have loved him. We would have probably been, we would have probably been dangerous together. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how him and I felt too. You know, we were always being slightly rebellious and just doing anything we could to enjoy any little moment in life. So, I have a friend of mine who calls herself a rebellious healer. So there's not. Mm-hmm. The, there's nothing wrong with being rebellious as long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else in the process. Absolutely. I think a little rebellion is actually a very good thing. It does help you to not take yourself so seriously and, and feel a little more, I think, in the present moment. I agree. So do you have any questions for me? Oh, man. I mean, we talked a little bit about... um how thinking about like how your life would still be if if that person was still here and and I never I know that there's never a right or a wrong way to grieve or to think and and that is a very important thing to ensure that people know is there really isn't a right or a wrong way as long as you're making yourself um, feel comfortable and you're not hurting yourself for people around you then that's the right way to grieve um, but. Do you think about your life if she was still here? Um, did you used to and stop? Um, is that, for lack of better words, wrong or less of a desirable thing to do? Um, what do you think about that? Grief is a very circular process. Since my, my daughter transitioned, I threw stage theory out the window. Um, I used to to do stage theory of grief when I was working with uh, individuals who are substance users, and I look at myself now and say, "Boy, if I, if I could <laughs> kick, if I could kick my own butt now, I would." I know, I know, you know that's for, tough to hear. <laughs> for for doing that, yeah, oh, yeah, but it, but it was. I mean, it was right. really turned out to be flawed thinking on my part because research has proven that individuals don't grieve in stages. And for me, it's a, grief is always, as I've learned, is a very very circular journey, which means the raw pain of grief can surface at any time. So are there days that I wonder what, what my life would be like if she was around? Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a product of what's going on in the moment. If I see another family that has children, and let's say a, a, a young lady that has the energy of my daughter, or even is physically similar to my daughter, I'm going to start thinking, boy, what if that were me? What, what would my life be like if she was still here? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just, a product of the human experience. And it's also a reflection of the fact that we remember our loved ones for the remainder of our lives. For as long as we're going to be on this planet, we will remember those we have lost. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely. Right. And again, it's just about and I know I wrote a little bit about this too after reading your book but it's it's about finding that gray area of thinking whereas 
this person does not have to be entirely gone from your life. You still are allowed to think about them. You're allowed mm -hmm. to think things that maybe you think you shouldn't, right? Imagining if they were still here. You can think about any of those things. Um, and there's not any right or wrong way um, that you remember your loved one or that you should feel about them, especially after losing them, whether it's tragically or not, um, no matter how much time you have to prepare, whether it's your goldfish or your child, it doesn't matter. Um, and I think oftentimes people, people have this I idea who haven't studied grief and gone through any of this traumatic things um, like we have. They, they have this idea of grief um, and how we should grieve. So I guess for the world and for the Cliff Notes version of people who are really trying to understand grief, um, because when I talk to people, whether it's family members, friends, anyone I know who's grieving, um, if there was any like really message that you could say to them or, or a couple of takeaways that you could say to them for their grieving process, what would those look like to you? One is see your grief through your own eyes, not through anybody else's. Grieve in a way that you see fit. Show grace to yourself. If there are days that you do not feel like engaging with the world, if you feel you need to just kind of tune out, allow yourself to do that. Trust your, your intuition. But at the same time, balance that with reaching out and engaging in the world, for finding meaningful support, for trying to do something, even the smallest thing that you can think of, to, to have you kind of get both, both feet into the land of the living again. And I'm going to cap this off for me with a quote from my favorite professor who is now dancing in another dimension, Maury Schwartz. Death ends a life, not a relationship. Always keep your loved ones close to your heart. Create some type of activity where you can connect with their, their memory. Um, always keep them close. And yeah. keep that relationship alive. Even if the, when the physical body expires, the essence of who that person is always remains alive. Stoke that. Right. Absolutely. That grief only exists because of the amount of love that was there in the first place. And, and that love that you have for that other person never has to change, never has to die. But it, some of it does have to be given to yourself in the process too. I love that you said to give yourself grace because that's the most important thing. Like we said at the beginning, we're we're looking for that external validation. And especially as a child, I was looking for somebody to tell me I was doing the right thing. Um, that person, though, is, is never going to be gone from your life. And however you choose to be with them still, mm -hmm. um, that's the most important thing. And Kaylee, I want to tell you this as your ex-professor, and also I consider you to be part of my family. So as your surrogate father, if you would, you know, I can edit that part out if you don't want me to put, to put <laughs> no, that, I have, that in the fact. I have a lot of fathers. <laughs> I think, right. so, think Don would be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I don't want to get John upset. I think you might want to share me anyway. 
<laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll negotiate with them. So Perfect. you guys can negotiate your terms, <laughs> but, um, the, the bad, don't think you have to ruin anybody's love. Cause that's something you were born with. We were all born with that. Um, so don't think you ever after anybody's love. You are lovable. Trust me. Um, I, I am just grateful for the day that you walked into your life, my life with your two year plan. Um, my life has been enriched ever since. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for the same. Oh my goodness. I only a little bit cried, <laughs> but I think I'm definitely, um, as you know, as I said in the beginning, I'm very grateful as well um, for all that you've taught me. And I know that forever you're going to teach me so many more things. Your legacy will live on forever in my children, in my grandchildren, in everybody, and in yours as well, too, and in the lives of so many other of your students. Um, so thank you for obviously coming to us and allowing us to help heal you. Um, but anything we can do to still return the favor. Um, you've definitely thanked us um, with all the knowledge and wisdom you've given every one of your students. I have never, ever, I've heard of a lot of complaints about a lot of people that I absolutely adore, but I have never heard a complaint about any one of your courses, the way you've treated someone, um, anything of that nature. You have always been a light in all of your students' lives. So thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me to interview you a little bit and just ask you some questions um, that pop into my head um, when I think about grieving. And, and that I think would be really um, important for other people to know um, all about how we kind of experienced our journeys and how they can experience their own and not feel like they're doing anything Well, thank you. And I always say the uh, best endorsements I get are from my students. And if a student leaves my class fulfilled and feeling like they've been treated with respect and they've learned some life lessons in the process, that always gratifies, that gratifies me, does my heart good, and just inspires me to continue to keep on teaching. Um, Kaylee, thank you so much for being, yeah. being a, a part of the Teaching Journeys podcast again. I will have Kaylee's contact information in the show notes. So if you want to reach out and find out more about her work, talk to her more about all things grief, I'm sure she will be more than happy to, to make time for you. Um, and with that, that is a wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace. <laughs>